principe, je vais essayer de vous résumer le but du jeu en quelques secondes. Il y aura la moitié d'entre nous qui seront des, des personnages verts, c'est-à-dire des... Hello, I'm Maria Back, and in this episode, we will be talking about something a little out of the ordinary in our line of work, a board game. My colleague at the Valres Barito Centre in Lausanne, François Alisson, recently made a board game with some of his students. So in this episode, you will hear how he went about doing this and why. And you will hear a few laughs as you hear some of the members of our centre playing his ingenious board game called Sortant du Capitalisme, or Exit Capitalism in English. All right, so just on a, in a few sentences, if it, I'm going to start again. So just in a few sentences, if you could explain the, uh, the game. Yes, so we live in capitalism and there is a countdown. And in 10 rounds, capitalism will collapse out of its uh, inner uh, contradictions. In the meantime, the players have the possibility to save the world and uh, to do that, uh, there are two groups of players who act collaboratively and the first group are the revolutionaries. They set up quite a few uh, places where they prepare for the revolution and to do that they have to to gain some red cards, those uh, who tell the criticism of capitalism and they have to, to exchange them against uh, revolutionary organizations and these organizations have to be secured against um, capitalism which uh, tries every, every time to destroy them. And at the same time, the other group of players, the transitionists, um, have to secure a given number of alternatives to capitalism. And these alternatives, which are played, uh, which are illustrated in the game by the green cards, uh, these green cards, they display how the world could be or will be after capitalism is destroyed by the revolutionaries. And they must succeed from both sides, uh, that is that, um, uh, for example, the transitionists have to build six um, alternatives. alternatives and the revolutionaries to build six um, or revolutionary organization and once it is done, it is possible to declare the, uh, to make the revolution and there would be enough alternative for uh, the world to survive in another way. But in the meantime, capitalism may win because of time, or it may win also because of its agents, and especially the undercover capitalists who play against, um, against the other players, but they, they have to make as if they were themselves revolutionaries or or transitionists to to be able to to participate to the game. Yeah, they're undercover agents. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. One thing I want to add is that it is difficult to win the game. Uh, we made it 
a bit hard, but it's not impossible. Uh, some students succeeded in winning, um, but we didn't want to make the game too um, uh, too utopian, but we didn't make, want either to make it too pessimistic, so it's a kind of a balance between the two. The great economist John Maynard Keynes once wrote of the foolish things a man thinking alone can come temporarily to believe. Fortunately, I did not have to think alone. And neither do we. Welcome to Cetris Never Paribus, the History of Economic Thought podcast, where all other things are never equal. Je vais basculer en anglais. Yeah, so we're sitting here in our wonderful office. It's getting very nice now, right? We have a sofa, a chair, or oh, chair, no, it's, um, yeah, it's a comfortable chair. Yeah. And a little table that we've just bought. We're very happy. That we put on the, on the blanket. Um, uh, yes, we have, a, we have a, a mat too, a carpet. Carpet. For the Americans listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are comfortable. And we are ready to talk about your board game. And I don't actually think a lot of people know that you've done this yet in the field. I'm not sure how, how much you've actually um, you know, publicized the fact that you've made a board game. So um, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to get you to just say your name, present yourself. So, hello, uh, my name is François Alisson. I am a senior lecturer at the Centre Valois Pareto at the University of Lausanne, and I am an historian of economic thought. And last academic year, with my students, uh, we made a board game called Sortons du Capitalisme, which means let's go out of capitalism and um yeah i'm pretty sure that for now the project is still a bit uh uh private and not <laughs> not widely known yeah but you but you've accepted to do this interview so i imagine that it's okay that we now you know announce to our little world that our francois our own francois has made a board game <laughs> in one of his history of economics classes right here at Inil. Yes, with um, a master group of 55 students, which was um, absolutely not what I was intended uh, to, to, to meet uh, in the first week, uh, because I thought, oh, as I usually have a small group with this lecture, uh, it will be easy to build a game, but okay. eventually there were 55. Right, and we'll, I think we'll get on to the nitty-gritty of how this how you did this and what were your difficulties in a little bit. Um, the first question I had for you was, how did you come up with this idea to make a game with your students? So I have always included games in my lectures, but um, until now, the students were only players in games. There were games about monetary circulation, where people are running around the class with with card uh, and and they are exchanging them with money and and so you can test whether um, uh, whether monetary circulation with banks uh, um, loaning money for an interest works better than uh, let's say barter or um, and so on but 
um, recently there were this there was this game by uh, Monique and Michel Pinson Charlot, which was called Capital, and which was subtitled the first um, critical sociology board game uh, to approach capital, and this um, made me inquire about older games that uh, spoke about capitalism, and I especially found a game by Bertel Ollmann, the Marxist uh, American scholar uh, who made a board game in 1978 uh, called Class Struggle and um, fortunately one of my colleagues uh, uh, had uh, a, a legacy version of that game and, and we played together and, and, and it was this gave me the idea to why not make a game with my students as a new way to teach? Yeah, that's, I mean, talk, talk about um, uh, creativity. <laughs> and I'm sure they really enjoyed it. Um, so how did you plan the making of your game? For example, did you split your students up into groups, etc.? How, how did you kind of organize it on the ground? Yeah, so there were some... I, I had to decide a few settings of the game beforehand uh, otherwise it would have gone in all direction um, and what I decided I, I haven't decided whether there would be a board or not or whether there would be dice or not mm -hmm. or whether uh, and so on but what I had decided was that there should be cards and these cards should bring um, at the same time, um, elements of criticism of capitalism and not only negative elements, but also positive elements giving alternatives to capitalism. And for this reason, I decided that each student had to read one book. So 55 different books were read. And out of these books, the students had to make cards and the, the design of the card that we decided together was um, cards with a picture, a title, a quotation from the book, an explanation uh, from the student um, to, to get some hints about either the alternative or the, um, the terrible consequences of, of capitalism as a uh, uh, acting and um, the, the this made yeah more than two hundred cards that could be used in a game, but to decide how it they, they could be used uh we had some sessions devoted to uh to the spirit of the game, and for this we first played a few games, including uh class struggle capitalism monopoly and, and so on and uh, this gave them the envy to include a board so we had brainstorming sessions where people were simply evoking possibilities um, they quickly agree on the fact that the game should be a collaborative game and not a game where each is fighting against each so we soon ended into two groups of players 
the capitalist, uh, the the sorry, the revolutionary on one side, those who want to destroy the the former uh, order, and the transitionists on the other side, those who wanted to build alternatives, and so both these players had to fight against capitalism, which would then be an um, a non-playing agent in the game. Um, and so we had sessions also for drawing the board. Um, we had sessions, and these were maybe the most difficult sometimes, to write the rules of the games. And at some points we had testing sessions where uh, the the where beta versions of the game had to be um, tested and then we decided to include money and then to include uh dices and then to include yeah there were quite a fight among the students whether it should be a, um, a whether the game should be collapsologic in in its end i mean whether capitalism should at some point uh, collapse from its own inner contradictions or not. Uh, and eventually there was a small preference for that. And therefore we have a countdown in the game where after each round, um, uh, the time is speeding up <laughs> and, and the game becomes a bit more stressful for the players. And many ideas, by the way, came out of the students. For example, the fact to include uh, some features of what is known as the game Mafia or, or Werewolf, uh, where in that case, the decision to include uh, undercover capitalists who try to um, to make some sabotage in the game uh, were clearly, um, uh, I mean, I had no idea to, to include that and, and, and the role played by my students in the making of the game is, is, is really great. Uh, yeah, they yeah. took this task really seriously and produced something pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah and the fact that they had to produce something, cards, and to be implied in some discussions about the rules made that their own individual contribution were uh, necessary for the overall success of the collective uh, output. And that makes them very willing to participate. Yeah, you, you're giving them responsibility for their own learning with certain incentives that make them take that seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good transition onto my third question, which were, what were your learning goals for such an exercise? What do you think the students learned in the end? Yeah, the idea was that uh, I thought that uh, to teach criticism of capitalism and alternatives to it is, um, th there are so many ways to do that. And in that case, um, uh, I wanted uh, yeah, I wanted to make it an individual task and at the same time a collective one. And the fact that they had to read one book by themselves to and, and to get the gist of that book 
to insert in the game uh, was their own responsibility to take a part of that. So this was the, the lonely task they had to produce. This, um, they were very happy to make the cards. I mean, they, 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 they were very happy to show the cards to the others. And during the game, people were really happy to, to see the cards produced by others because some were really funny um, and, and, and they really, some got better than others. The, 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 the spirit of, of the game. Um, a few students were still a bit lost. Um, some never played in their childhood and they were a bit um, stressed by the fact of producing something for a game because they never played. Mm. Uh, but most students were so happy to, and, and, and they found that it was so, um, that it was possible to learn while playing. playing. Yeah. yeah, while making fun. And and this is something I I, I like, I mean, it should not be always the case. You shall not always play f for learning, but why not restrain from playing, uh, especially if it works uh, like that. So on, on a collective level, the idea, I mean, it is less um, possible, I think, to measure the... the uh, what they actually learned. What they yeah. actually learned, uh, because some were more involved for example, some were so good at understanding the impact, uh, the macro impact of small rule change, uh, uh, and 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 they they quickly figured what was going on, and some were absolutely lost until we had the first test, um, and so we read some theoretical stuff about game and the importance of game for the revolutionary process involving Guy Debord and his uh, yeah his uh, his his reflections about chess poker and his uh, war game that he that he produced but it was difficult to make the link from that to the actual practical process of making the game. So in a sense, it is because I was not sure of the learning outcomes on, of the collective work for each individual that I had to introduce this individual learning curve on one book mm. um, to be sure that at least everyone would get something out of that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, on a collective level, I can say that collectively it worked, but I'm not sure that for each individual it, it played. I mean, it certainly didn't play the same role. Yeah. Could you give us a, a few examples of these cards? Yeah, there were some cards um, reviving the, the former ideals of, of some utopian writers. Um, for example, trying to construct some new phalanstere or uh, trying to introduce some new, a new monetary order uh, uh, or trying to, to revive some, some sentiments like solidarity. Uh, um, but there were also cards showing um, 
all the all the exploitation that took place in capi under capitalism there were also quite a hand of um of cats from a feminist or post-colonial perspectives um and um there were some yeah um some funny cards and you during the play you don't have time to read all the quotations and all the, the explanation but when you have uh, when you wait for your t own turn to come to to lunch the dice you can always have a look at your cards and and uh, and learn uh, while playing yeah learn and, and and often as as we realized in our playing the game here at the center is laughing as well some of them are really funny one card for example a red card uh, is called la théorie économique de la robe the economic theory of the dress and it is in a way um uh, it it is quoting Thorstein Veblen um and his idea that a dress is not just a piece of um uh, clothing of of clothing but it is also a way for someone to distinguish himself from the working class by letting his wife wearing a dress um, just because it is not convenient to wear a dress and be a worker in a factory and um, a dress is expensive and so it makes people understand that consumption uh, is not just consumption but also a mark of power and social domination. There is also another card called Fis a Papa. Um, how is it in English, Fis a Papa? So, so yeah, I think you would be something along the lines of Trust Fund Baby. Trust Fund Baby. And this is just to say that uh, what we take as meritocracy in our society uh, good um, good children at school versus bad children at school is not that some um, are better or some are worse it's just that some have better economic capital cultural capital and they spend them on their children and it is absolutely not about meritocracy um, at all and with all these red cards you uh, try to deconstruct all the notions that you find natural under capitalism, which, uh, uh, which in fact are not. Mm. And that you then can build these alternatives and these revolutionary organizations. Yeah, with. And, and, and the more you understand um, how things work, the less you are influenced by them. And in a way, uh, that's... Uh, what the game tells us. So, fourth question, what did you learn from the process yourself? Oh, so I learned that it is fantastic to build a game collectively. Um, I also learned that it is time consuming. Um, it is a physical process to produce the cards, to produce the board. Uh, when you have 55 students and you have to test the game, several versions of the game you need at least six boards uh, with uh, uh, 1200 cards and because they are all playing and they are playing with uh, 
yeah with different configurations and and um, I learned that um, that collective creativity is really fantastic and I mean they uh, what was created was far beyond my expectations I hope to have something interesting but not I mean we didn't have the task to have something workable um, uh, it was not necessary to 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 pass the, <laughs> the class but um, but but it it is workable and I'm very happy that uh, you organized a session with our colleagues here at the Center of Arospareto to test the game beyond the classroom. And this gives me the, the envy to continue and to produce um, yeah, a replicable game uh, so that everyone can use it, uh, at least for now, those who read and speak French. Mm. Yeah, so I think anybody listening to this and who speaks French who's ever invited or comes to the Centre Valeras Parito should ask to play it. To and play we will it, happily set up a session and get some volunteers to play with them. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we spent two hours um, happily playing a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, great, okay, so my last question is what would your advice be to other professors who wanted to do the same? Oh, I would advise them to go and don't be afraid about the results. Even if the result is not perfect, the process on its own, um, on, its, on its way is really rewarding. And I would advise you maybe to play quite a few games that you don't know or games that you know with friends. Uh, before you start <laughs> making a game because uh, you have to put yourself in the spirit of playing um, and um, and uh, feel free to contact me if you need uh, further or more detailed advice. Mm. Fantastic. Well, so I um, recently listened to a podcast about how Monopoly came about. I don't know if you know the story but apparently had a completely different name at first and was like an op kind of the equivalent of open source um, game invented by a woman and then it was bought by another man and that is the person we today think was the originator of Monopoly. So this will not happen with this game. We know it was Francois Alisson in Lausanne with his 55 students. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I want thank to thank those 55 students. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you very much. I would also like to thank Justine Louler, Etienne Furer, Thomas Boucher, and Sina Badet for agreeing to be recorded when we played the game here in Lausanne. Finally, I would like to do an episode about supervision. So if anyone is willing to talk to me about their experience as a supervisor or as a PhD student, just get in touch. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode enough to come back for more. The featured music is called Knowing Nothing by Midair Machine, and our intro features Paul Krugman at his Nobel Prize banquet speech in 2008. Thank you to Nobel Media AB for giving us the permission to use the audio. Check out our website, cetrusneverparabus.net, for more information. Follow us on Twitter, cetrusnparabus, and listen to more episodes on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.